Welcome to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. Today on the podcast, we're talking about the physics of snowboarding. From the design of the boards to the clothing that the athletes wear, and of course, those gravity-defying tricks, snowboarding is a fantastic place to see physics in action. That's today on the Physics Central Podcast. It's February 19th, 2014, and we are right in the middle of the Winter Olympic Games in Sochi, Russia. In just about every nook and cranny of Winter Olympic sports, you can find physics. But today we're going to focus on just one, snowboarding. Snowboard engineers use a lot of physics when designing their equipment, sometimes going down to the atomic level in order to maximize an athlete's performance. Most snowboards are made by layering different materials together. Generally, there is a thin sheet of steel and then a sheet of wood or foam core, and that's sandwiched between fiberglass, and all of that is coated and held together with epoxy. Now, there is no single right answer to the question, what makes a good snowboard? So there are literally hundreds of variations on that basic design. Snowboard designers use different materials or add different layers of material to change the board's performance to give it different pros and cons. But one of the most basic central variables that an athlete will consider when choosing a snowboard is its flexibility. And as a general rule, rigid boards are best for events that require the athletes to move fast while flexible boards are, for events, focused more on technique and style. Now, to help explain why that is, I talked to the Physics Central resident snowboard expert, James Reardon. James is also head of media relations at the American Physical Society. High-speed stuff, high-speed snowboarding, uh, riding in a really large pipe, those sorts of things, you want something stiffer because you don't want it essentially flopping around. And it's the same sort of principle that would apply to pretty much any vehicle, really, once you start going really fast. Because if you have something that bends easily at low speed, that's great when you're making low-speed maneuvers. But when you start to get higher, you can get these oscillations, you can get resonances and things that would basically cause you to go out of control. This is something that becomes evident in ski events as well. Downhill skiers reach speeds of anywhere from 80 to 100 miles per hour. So they need skis that are more rigid. They cannot lose control at those speeds. In slalom racing, skiers weave between markers along the course. So those athletes want more flexible skis because they have to make a lot of turns. They need more maneuverability. Now, in addition, the slalom racers aren't traveling quite as fast as the downhill skiers. Now, the need for speed influences the design of another major part of snowboarding equipment, the clothes. Snowboarders in the slalom event tend to wear sleek, skin-tight suits. Those suits are designed for aerodynamic advantage. In the slalom, the athletes are partly judged on how fast they complete the course. And friction between skin and air can significantly impact a snowboarder's speed. Now, by significantly, I mean maybe a few tenths of a second, but that is sometimes the difference between winning and losing. 
On the other hand, half-pipe and slope-style snowboarders are the ones you usually see wearing rather baggy clothing. And those athletes are being judged not on speed, but on their technique. They're the ones doing those impressive tricks and jumps and flips and all that stuff. Now, it does seem like speed would still be important to those athletes, that if they are going faster, they can launch higher into the air, giving them more time to do those awesome tricks. But it turns out that speed is not something that those athletes are short on. Here again is James Reardon. Now, you might think that being able to go faster would give you an advantage when you're in the half pipe, when you're doing slope style or something like that. But usually, those slopes are set up so that you can get way more speed than you need. And very often, one of the key things to doing a trick appropriately is not going faster, but slowing down to the right speed. So you'll often see, the, especially the slope style people, would be going down the hill and they'll, they'll do a few minor turns, which are technically called scrubbing off speed, to make sure that they hit the slope at the right speed. Because these athletes don't need the extra speed, they don't have to worry about wearing clothing that reduces air friction. And it's also better if you don't have to be streamlined, then wearing those sorts of baggy, loose clothes allow you to be much more uh, free in your movement. You don't get all bound up in your clothes as you're turning around and things. The artistry of snowboarding is also full of physics. One great example of this is a trick that some very advanced slope-style snowboarders are doing called the 1440 triple cork. The triple cork is one of the more impressive moves out there because it basically combines spinning and flipping. Here is James to explain that further. There's three easy ways. When I say easy, they're easy to describe, easy, easy ways to rotate in snowboarding. If you were to stand up and face forward, one way is to rotate around your vertical axis the way an ice skater would. Another way is to do a forward flip, just straight over your head and land on your feet. And the other is to go sideways, like in a cartwheel. These three axes are easy to define because when you're standing straight up, they align nicely with the ground. The z-axis runs straight down into the ground, the x and y-axis run parallel to it, and things, including snowboarders, tend to rotate around those axes rather easily. But a cork trick makes things a little complicated. So the thing about any of the cork tricks involves trying to spin around essentially two of those axes at the same time. Or to put it another way, you're trying to spin around an axis that's not one of those three. You don't want to go forward, you don't, don't want to go sideways, and you don't want to spin like a top. So an easy way to picture this dual motion is with a football. A well-thrown football flies through the air and spins around its axis, the one running between the pointy ends of the ball. But a poorly thrown football will also wobble, so the pointed ends trace out a circle in the air. This is what the snowboarder is doing in a cork trick, but that circle is very large. It's so large that the snowboarder becomes almost completely inverted. That is, he is upside down. So the tricky thing is trying to figure out how to throw yourself into one of these off-axis spins. Instead of jumping and spinning, and instead of just jumping backwards, you jump and throw yourself over one shoulder. And that's not one of the natural axes of your body. So because you're going along this unusual axis that you're defining with your left shoulder, you do a spin and a wobble 
that essentially turns into a cork trick. If you're a bit confused about what a triple cork would look like, let me tell you that even when I watched videos of it, my brain couldn't quite make sense of what I was seeing. It's sort of a blur. And that's partly because if the trick is done correctly, then the rotating and the wobbling don't happen in sync. If the snowboarder wants to land facing forward with his feet on the ground, he needs to complete four rotations around the z-axis, but only three wobbles or flips. This is actually how the trick gets its name. It's a triple cork, so three flips, and 1440 is four times 360, because there's four 360-degree rotations. Now, to get the ratio right, the snowboarder has to control how fast he spins. He can do that by either compressing or extending his body. If you watch an ice skater doing a spin around their vertical axis, you'll see that when they bring their arms in closer to their body, they spin faster. Well, this is the same for a snowboarder. So the way a snowboarder would do this is they'd experiment. They would throw themselves in the air with off axis. They would do a spin and sort of toss themselves in one direction over their left shoulder or over their right shoulder. And they would change how much they compress each time they do it. And by changing the amount you compress, you can change that ratio of how many wobbles you get for how many spins. So you make sure that no matter what, you always launch and, and move into the same position. Typically, they grab their boards to make sure they're in the same position. They grab their board in the same way every time. And that way, they can guarantee no matter what they've done for four spins, they'll get three wobbles, no matter what. Then it's just a question of staying, making sure you're in the air long enough. And if you're in the air too long, then you stretch out at the end to slow everything down. Part of what makes these tricks so difficult is that it is extremely dangerous if you're not doing it right. Physics knowledge helps, but it doesn't mean you're ready to go out and try this on the slopes. If you're going to learn this trick, you, it's nice to have a foam pit or something to land in. Any normal person who just goes snowboarding on the weekend, if you try the trick the first time and it goes badly, you're probably going to go home in an ambulance. So. One reason it's hard is because it does take this repeated practice to get the right positioning down, the right launch speed off, the right sort of amount of energy you need to put into your spin. You don't want to over-rotate. You don't want to under-rotate. So you pretty much have to have a pro resort at your disposal in order to, to learn one of these in the first place. Thanks very much to our snowboarding expert, James Reardon, for being on the podcast. If you'd like to hear more about physics at the Winter Olympics, the National Science Foundation paired up with NBC and produced a series of videos online talking about the physics and the engineering that goes into many of these winter sports. We've linked to those videos on our blog, physicsbuzz.physicscentral.com. You've been listening to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. As always, you can find more podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at physicscentral.com. Tune in next week for more of the Physics Central Podcast.